today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Now, in the U.S., it's it's mostly speculation, the ability to generate yield, the ability, the ability to borrow, or really a, a true wealth management solution. I will say that in the short term, it's complementary because the banks don't offer these services. In the long term, in the West, I actually see it differently. I think that you know, in my 30 years in this business, I was at Netscape and I watched almost every business on the planet be completely changed from the inside out via the internet with a couple of ex- exceptions and banking being one of the biggest. So I think long term, this is the future of banking, right? So in the short term, it may be complementary, but in the long term, I think this is exactly how banking is going to work and the banks just don't know it yet. Hey, this is Zach Miller, Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief. I wanted to tell you about our upcoming Convergence Conference. Banks and top fintechs are both headed in the same direction. They're building products and services to handle an increasing share of their customers' needs. Whether our firm started as a bank or a personal finance app, we're all headed in the same direction. Tearsheet's Convergence Conference explores this trend. With senior speakers from Chase, Citizens, American Express, KeyBank, Anchorage, and more. Join us September 14th in New York City. Go to the Tearsheet website and click Conferences for more information. The Convergence Conference is sponsored by Publicis Sapien. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. When you talk to Bill Barheit about his days at Netscape, you can't help but feel that he's reliving that excitement today with cryptocurrencies. He's the founder and CEO at Abra, a crypto wealth management platform that includes a brokerage, high-yield investments, as well as a cryptocurrency lending service. Bill joins us on the podcast to talk about the firm's genesis story, going global, and how Abra services the needs of consumer and institutional clients in almost 100 countries. We discuss about the evolution of crypto and how the old school banking world and digital asset ecosystems are already beginning to work together. Bill shares more about the firm's recent launch of its crypto lending service and where that product might go in the future. Bill Barheit is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. My name is Bill Barheit. I am the founder and CEO at Abra. I run the company. We are a crypto wealth management platform that runs a brokerage, high yield investment service, as well as a cryptocurrency lending service. And we service both consumers as well as institutional clients. Uh, And with what uh, geographic purview? Yeah, we have customers, both retail and consumer, in in over 50 countries today and growing, probably closer to 100 countries, but there's a long tail, obviously, of smaller nations. Sure. And, and was, that the, um, was, that the, uh, was that the focus from the beginning? I mean, did, did you intend this to be a, an international platform? For sure. Um, my background before this, I've done a lot of work in, in global internet platforms at Netscape. I actually ran a remittance company working in developing markets. And I wanted Abra to be a global banking platform based on crypto. So your question's a little loaded because we've had stops and starts in terms of how we've gotten to the success we've gotten. I mean, we're very profitable now, but uh, it certainly was not a straight up and to the right path to get there. I think what we've figured out is kind of the order of services that we needed to offer to both consumers and institutions to gain traction quickly and then start to scale more services on top of that as we go. And it's funny, now we're coming around to a lot of the services that we wanted to offer in the very early days of the company around payments and money transfer. But in the very earliest days, it was around, how do I get access to crypto? How do I earn yield on my crypto? How do I borrow against my crypto? Very straightforward, hard to implement, but very straightforward. 
So I want to come back um, to a, a product that you launched in, in March of this year, and that's the the crypto lending, um, the retail product side of that. Um, can we talk about what that product is and who that's aimed for? Absolutely. So the background is our belief that over time, Bitcoin, Ethereum, certain cryptocurrencies are effectively a long-term appreciating asset versus the dollar. Okay, similar to gold, but but in their own rights. I don't think long-term people will be comparing it to gold because I think this will be bigger than gold. But effectively, crypto is an appreciating asset. The dollar at the same time is therefore a depreciating asset. And the idea of Abra Borrow is that you continue to hold the appreciating assets, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or you know other cryptocurrencies, and you borrow in the depreciating asset, which is the dollar. And we've been doing this on the institutional side for quite a while, and now we're doing it for retail investors as well. We've launched this, I believe we're live in 45 states now in the US and adding um, the other five with lending licenses, and also in about 50 countries uh, around the world. And you simply stake your Bitcoin or your Ethereum as collateral, and you can choose uh, how much collateral you want to put up, and that translates into a certain interest rate that you pay for borrowing dollars. And we'll actually give you a 0% interest loan if you are willing to put up more collateral and then give you, you know, it's like a 7 or 8% interest loan if you're willing to put up like, let's say, 50% of the crypto as collateral. And, and so are, are a lot of these borrowers, um, are, were they early on? early like sort of Bitcoin Bitcoin holders or are these like a newer customer base? Um, some, it's a, it's a mix. I would say some are crypto rich and want to access the gains now, mm -hmm. but still ride the crypto upside. So they, and that solves two problems. It lets me access the gains because I'm not selling my crypto. I'm, I'm not necessarily paying any short-term capital gains if you're, if you're a U.S. investor. I would also say we have people who are new to this who might want a little bit of leverage. So let's say you know you want to multiply your winnings by like 1.1 or 1.2. So if you get it, what we would call a 10% LTV loan and buy more crypto with that loan, you now have effectively 1.1 exposure to Bitcoin or Ethereum. So, uh, we have venture capitalists who have used their their bitcoin as collateral to buy houses you know there was this mm -hmm. kind of migration from sf to miami well it turns out abra financed some of that migration by by crypto rich investors putting up their bitcoin as collateral and then borrowing against it so there's lots of use cases that are already evolving student loans is another one uh or, or some, i'm sorry college tuition i mean is another one and mm -hmm. it's evolving in real time i mean it's essentially in a way buying things on mart like buying trading stocks on margin, right? A similar concept? It, it can be if it, yeah. for that use case, but but prime brokers for the wealthy have been doing this for decades, right? Mm -hmm. So I have wealthy friends who never sell stock, but use that stock as kind of a bank account where they simply borrow against it at will. And uh, you know, one friend in particular I think of who basically has held uh, Apple shares for 10 plus years, never sold a single share and, and basically uses that as his free cash flow mechanism by borrowing mm -hmm. against it at very low rates via his prime broker. And so this is a very similar model, but now accessible to uh, to this new crypto audience. And is it a hard product on on, on your end to, to manage on the Abra side to manage given the volatility in the underlying? No, that's where the LTV rates versus the interest rates come in. Let me let me explain. So so when you 
open a go to Abra borrow and and you basically say I want to borrow let's say fifty thousand dollars right uh, as which you'll get as a stable coin and then once you get the stable coin you can wire it to your bank account or use it to, to buy more crypto or whatever you want to do but when you choose that fifty thousand dollar borrow the app will ask you okay how much collateral do you want to put down and you can effectively choose 10x which is 10 percent versus 50 percent uh, which is a you know 50 percent LTV so that affects the interest rates. If the price moves against you such that your collateral rate falls too far mm -hmm. below a certain threshold, you're going to get a notification from ABRA that says you're required to uh, put down more collateral to maintain that LTV, uh, or a certain amount of the collateral will be sold to put you back in compliance. Mm -hmm. And I would say on the retail side, 99% of the time, the borrower will put down more collateral, uh, a small percentage of the time, like literally less than 1%. I, 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 I can really only imagine, foresee a couple of cases where it's happened. Uh, they might say sell a small amount of collateral. On the institutional side, it's actually never happened. Uh, institutional investors are always preferring to put up more collateral. Mm. Uh, they simply don't want to sell crypto because they're in the business of holding crypto long-term. Uh, so it's actually a really good win-win type of product. Is this a product you would take, um, I guess, through indirect channels to market? Like, are you are you thinking about doing this with banks? Are you doing this with banks and yeah. offering to retail customers through their through them? Fantastic question. Uh, nobody's actually asked me that before, which is just a logical question. And absolutely, we want to do this through banks eventually. The biggest problem the banks have right now is what they're allowed to offer via their regulators, mostly not, not necessarily through like the, the legal regulators of the OCC or the state regulators. Usually the bigger issue would be FDIC for federally chartered banks or state chartered banks or the NCUA for credit unions, which limits uh, the kind of products that they're allowed to offer and still maintain those insurances. And crypto generally falls under one of those products that they're not allowed to offer today. The irony of that, of course, is, is that if you look at how traditional lending in banks works, the banks are way more leveraged in these solutions than we would be uh, with a 50% LTV product, for example. All right, Banks only require 20% down for a mortgage uh, for the most part. In some cases, you can get away with even less. Mm -hmm. So, so it, that's interesting. But I do predict that over time, banks will get permission to offer these kind of products. I mean, and and so that you know, there there have been a, a I guess what a handful of of bank licenses extended to crypto firms. Yeah, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Anchorage in particular. Right, um, right. Are, are they limited in their ability to to, to custody and, and to work with banks, given on some of the dynamic that you just described? They are. Uh, mm -hmm. There are rules around what they can and can't do. You need kind of a logical separation between crypto and traditional banking, and the two don't necessarily interoperate very well. So for example, uh, we work with a trust bank that custodies our crypto assets on behalf of our users. You're actually getting a trust bank account when you use our high yield product, right? And those accounts would be separate from where you would store cash in the bank, for example. And they generally don't uh, become commingled. And mm -hmm. the regulators obviously have strong incentives to preserve the existing system because it basically maintains the the power right of the yield of the status quo the yeah. yeah exactly i mean what we can we all know we all know what their incentives are for fintech so so it, we're slowly getting these models either via the occ fintech charter which is currently being attacked by the states yep. 
or Wyoming's new uh, SPDI, which is a mm -hmm. special depository institution charter, which uh, would work well for cryptocurrencies. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, Kraken has that license mm -hmm. and Avanti, which is a new um, bank based in, in Wyoming, has that license. Obviously, um, there are a couple of New York uh, uh, trust chartered banks like uh, Paxos and Gemini operate under those charters. So, but they generally, like I said, they have to separate the types of assets they're dealing with from a traditional trust bank versus a crypto uh, custodian. I guess that's a good segue, Bill, for, for the next question I had. And, and I see that some of the language on, on, on your website speaks to, to both these things. I, my question was going to be, do you see the ecosystem that you're building um, as a substitute to the existing financial system or a complement to it? Um, and at least from some of the, the marketing language I can see on the Abra website, you're talking about both, I guess, depending on the geography that you're talking about. That's right. I would say there's a multi-part answer here. I would say if you're in a developing market, we have a lot of consumers who use Abra to send money as well as to speculate in crypto. Uh, invest in crypto, borrow against crypto. So that money transfer, the money send, the payments is a much bigger use case in developing markets. Now, in the US, it's it's mostly speculation, the ability to generate yield, the, the ability to borrow, or really a, a true wealth management solution. I will say that in the short term, it's complementary because the banks don't offer these services. In the long term in the West, I actually see it differently. I think that you know, in my 30 years in this business, I was at Netscape and I watched almost every business on the planet be completely changed from the inside out via the internet with a couple of ex exceptions and banking being one of the biggest. Now, that's mostly due to the government granted monopoly that financial institutions get. And so that, you know, idea of too big to fail is obviously just nonsense. There hasn't been a, a new federally chartered bank in the United States in, to my knowledge, in 15 years. So, so I think long term, this is the future of banking, right? So in the short term, it may be complementary, but in the long term, I think this is exactly how banking is going to work and the banks just don't know it yet. So, so that's an interesting answer. And I guess what are the hurdles needed for you and, and, and your competitors or peers to get there? Uh, time, mm -hmm. uh, awareness. I mean, when we explain to a customer, a high net worth customer, a family office customer in a one-on-one -on -one situation where it's just like this, like you and I talking, the aha moment happens relatively quickly and we get very large deposits from them and they love the service. They love the yield. There's just a hundred things that they'll like. But, you know, obviously we're very early. We have a couple of million customers, but still, it's early. Look, most people on the planet have never heard of Abra. Most people on the planet have never heard of most crypto exchanges. So there's still a, a general lack of awareness of what it means to hold an appreciating asset, for example, and borrow in a depreciating asset, to own something that looks like digital gold to act as wealth growth and a preservation mechanism. You explain to the average retail investor that a company like MicroStrategy is sitting on billions of dollars of Bitcoin and they look at you like you're crazy, like why would they wanna do that? But if you can actually methodically walk them through the logic of why, it's like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Why isn't everyone doing that? And so we're still in this early phases of, of, of awareness where it's a lot of techies doing yield farming via these complicated DeFi smart contracts which a lot of people have no idea what I'm talking about, right? 
So that's that's how early we still are. And so that's the biggest challenge by far. I think we've killed it in terms of creating a really compelling, simple user experience that makes this very accessible and less daunting. But if you don't know it exists, you don't know it exists. And so that's the biggest challenge for us by far. I really appreciate also your, your personal story. I, obviously, uh, the experience at Netscape plays uh, a prominent role in your in your career arc, and it seems like you're 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 an entire industry now that is facing sort of a similar. You know, they talk about the Netscape moment or whatever, like you're in the the crypto moment across right. an entire industry. Totally, yeah, and and simplicity always wins. And and when we didn't know what to do in in the early days, it was like, okay, what's simpler for this group of users? And that's what would always win. And, and, and I think things are evolving in a similar way with these next generation crypto banking services, because the first generation was all that for these high, highly complicated kind of day trading environments yeah. where people know advanced limit orders and all this other stuff that the average investor doesn't understand. And now we're just making it so drop dead simple that it's a couple of clicks and you're generating yield. So, so what's next on the, on the product roadmap for you guys? You talked about sort of that, you know, starting with sort of table stakes products when you first started, then moving into just now beginning to launch products that you had already, you had envisioned way back when, like when you look forward, like what, what are you thinking about in terms of rolling out new products? Sure. I think uh, without giving it all away, I, I would say you'll see a lot more in the payment space, getting back to our roots as a company, uh, money transfer and developing markets. Uh, we're rolling out a support for um, certain products in developing markets that aren't really required in the U.S. So for example, uh, we've deployed cash networks in Philippines, yeah, Guatemala. And, yeah, uh, pickup stations. Pick up oh, pickup yeah, exactly. Not only for, it actually works a little bit differently from remittances where it's just for pickup. It actually goes in both directions, meaning, meaning you can buy Bitcoin for cash, mm -hmm. but you can also sell it for cash, which can be just your investment dollars or picking up a, a money transfer that was basically based in, in Bitcoin or Ethereum, for example, or stablecoin for that matter. And, and that's a, a requirement that we don't have, obviously, in the U.S., but is doing a huge, significant percentage of our business in, in these countries. Like I said, we're, we've, we've launched it in the Philippines. We've launched it in Guatemala. Uh, last week, we started testing it in El Salvador, which has been in the press a lot uh, lately because of their adoption of, of Bitcoin via legislation. And so I, I predict we'll see more and more of these uh, cash on-ramps and off-ramps uh, in a lot more countries as we go to develop a truly global solution. Whereas in the U.S., everybody's fine with the bank on-ramps and off-ramps. Got it. And I have one last question for you, Bill. Um, as you look down to the second half of um, 2021 and out to 2022, man, it's been a crazy, you know, couple of years here. But like, what are your biggest priorities, biggest um, audacious goals that you see ahead of you? Yeah. I spend a lot of time on product features that we just started talking about. I spend a lot of time on awareness programs. And then I start, and now I spend a lot of time on how do we scale what we're doing to 20 million users from a compliance perspective? Meaning, how are the regulations going to evolve? in all of these countries that we operate in and are we out in front of that? So, so I have to spend a lot of time in each of these topics. And so we have some really cool things we're working on, for example, on the marketing front, but, but I'm really, I mean, Q4 for us is going to be really fun from a product perspective. So, so it's just all these moving parts happening at the same time when you're scaling a business that's scaling faster than Netscape did. You know, and, and all, a lot of companies in the crypto space are, are, are scaling much faster than the dot-com companies of the 90s. 
Bill Barhai, thank you for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Zach. Great to meet you.